today we're going to continue our series on winning the war on the spiritual armor. I kind of had this in mind for the graduates, um, and as you'll be heading into a new season of life, a new chapter, uh, but really it's for all of us because we're all in a spiritual battle. How many of you are familiar with Far Side, the little comic? They usually have a little frame thing. I've read those periodically from time to time. Some of them I get, some of them I don't. Um, but this one I think I got pretty good because there were two deer standing side by side. And the deer had a big target painted on his chest. And the one deer said to the other deer, bummer of a birthmark, Al. <laughs> I think I got that one. The idea that uh, he was certainly a target to be shot. But it's a reminder to me that as believers in Jesus Christ, we do have a target on our chest. And the more we are serious about being in this battle and the more serious we are about winning the war, the more brightly seems to shine that target on us. And some people would say, well, you know, that's probably a good reason then not to be serious about it and just play games, but um, if that's you, uh, your target, uh, you don't need a target because you're already captured. Um, Satan already has you. And so as we look at the breastplate of righteousness, last week we looked at the belt of truth and we talked about the nature of the war. It's important to understand what kind of battle we're in because if we don't understand the nature of the war, we're not going to understand the need for spiritual armor. The nature of the war, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what it says in Ephesians 6. Turn your Bibles there. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, many times the battle comes through flesh and blood, but what is behind it is satanically motivated. It's evil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I want us to go back just for a quick moment to review, because when we look at Ephesians, the first three chapters have to do with our, some people would say, our identity in Christ or our position in Christ. It's important to understand our position because if we don't understand our position, we're not going to understand our practice. See, the first three chapters have to do with our position or our identity in Christ. The last three have to do with our practice for Christ, how we live out the reality of our position. For instance, not everybody's probably a baseball fan, but I played baseball a few years, and I played different positions. Every position has different responsibilities. Let's say I'm a third baseman. I go out to play third base. I'm given a uniform. I'm given a place on the field where I need to be, and I have that position. That position is given to me by the coach. God has given us a position in Christ. We need to understand we've been given the uniform. We've been given a position, a place on the field to play and participate. But if I don't even understand my position, how am I going to understand my practice? So I have to understand the position. When the ball is hit to me, I throw it to first base, but if there's a runner already on first base, I have to throw it to second. See, and then to first. So my practice will be determined by my understanding of my position. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, 
it is important that we understand our position in Christ. When we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, for instance, there is an imputed righteousness. And I, you say you don't hear that word very often. What it means is that God has ascribed or attributed to us a righteousness when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Right? We give our lives to Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God imputes, he ascribes, he attributes righteousness to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. However, the righteousness I think that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 6 is the practical righteousness, the day-to-day living of how we live our lives. Because we have the position But now we are in the midst of a battle and we have to learn how to practice righteousness in a way to defeat the enemy. Why? Because didn't it say in Proverbs, above everything, guard your heart. Above all things, because out of it are the issues of life. And if that is true, how do I guard my heart? Paul is telling us as believers in Christ, we guard our hearts through righteousness, living out righteousness, We can't do that, though, if we don't have the position of righteousness, that God hasn't saved us first. If we're saved, now we can practice righteousness. So this is written to believers, for believers. So he talks about our position and our practice. So how does this work practically in our lives? If we are going to promote righteousness to protect our hearts, how do we do this? All right, let's look at it. Three characteristics of a person who is protected by the breastplate of righteousness. The first one is this, a hatred for sin. You see, there are too many Christians who embrace sin and are okay with it. God is not okay with sin. He's not okay with even a white lie. He's not okay with sin. It cost his son the cross. He's not okay with it. We should not be okay with sin if we have a position of righteousness, that God has imputed that righteousness to us in the new birth through spiritual regeneration in Jesus Christ. I want to practice on the outside that righteousness which God has imputed to me on the inside. So how do we do this? How do we have this hatred for sin? It is shown by not taking sin lightly. Not taking sin lightly. For instance, there was an article posted in the Washington Post, printed in the Washington Post, on March 26th of this year. And it's called, The Craziest Late-to-Work Excuses. Craziest Late-to-Work Excuses. And... It says the boss has heard them all. It was the rain. That's why I was late, the rain. I know we would like some rain right now. A pile up on the freeway. They're not from here on South Dakota. The boss has heard them all. Excuses for being late to work are essentially the same in every industry, according to a career-building survey of more than 1,000 HR managers. The most common reasons, he said, for employee tardiness is familiar with most of us. Traffic, 51%. It was a traffic. Oversleeping, 31%. Weather, 28%. But he said among the most unique excuses bosses have ever heard, listen to this, I was here, but I fell asleep in the parking lot. 
My fake eyelashes were stuck together. An astrologer warned me of a car accident on a major highway, so I took all the back roads. And this one really raised some eyebrows. I had morning sickness. That was from a male employee. <laughs> one thing's for sure, innovation is not dead in America. But what does it say in Romans 12, 9? Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Abhor means to hate with intense feeling, to detest, to look upon with horror. Because love desires the best for people. Therefore, love hates evil. Evil destroys human life. The believer stands against evil, doing all he can to fight it. In Psalm 119, 104, the psalmist said, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Notice he gets understanding from the precepts of God, reminds him of how he's to live a righteous life, therefore he hates every wrong path. It is the idea of not only looking at it with intense feeling and hatred, but rendering foul as if it were a stench. I remember a family that um, I know never since I was really little. If it, hopefully they'll never watch this tape. But Anyhow, we would go to their house, and every time I went into the bathroom, the toilet was never flushed. And I mean never flushed. It was full. You, you wouldn't have been able to flush it. And you talk about a stench. It was not just ripe. It was toxic. <laughs> there. You didn't have to worry about anybody camping out in there. You wanted to get out of there. That's the idea. If we would treat evil with that kind of stench, that we would stay away from it and run away from it and see it as horrible in the eyes of God. And then he says that we are to cleave to that which is good, glue ourselves, attach ourselves to what is good. So we don't take sin lightly. Secondly, truly repenting of all our sin. If we want to live a righteous life, we don't hide sin, we repent of it. And we say, God, we experience guilt, shame, and we repent of that sin. Repentance is turning away from that sin. The sin is over here. I'm going this way. I'm removing myself from it. Repenting. Let me give you five marks. J.C. Ryle was a bishop in England in the 1800s. Here's what he gave. Five marks of repentance. I think these are good and they're biblical. I hope you'll jot them down. Number one, true repentance begins with a knowledge of sin. A knowledge of sin. The eyes of the repentant are opened. We see God's holy law and the extent of our transgressions. We see that we are wicked, guilty, corrupt, and evil in God's sight. That we are great sinners. J.I. Packer said there are two sorts of sick consciences. Those that are not aware enough of sin 
and those that are not aware enough of pardon. When we sin and we repent, God does pardon us and forgive us of that sin. Secondly, true repentance produces sorrow for sin. They're grieved by sin. Matthew 5 said, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a sorrow. I remember meeting with a young man a number of years ago. He was single. And I was excited about getting the chance to meet with him because I thought he was wanting to make some spiritual changes in his life. But as I sat down with him and I listened to him talk, I realized he wasn't interested in changing at all. In fact, the only thing he wanted to do was brag about his sin. And I had to look at him in the eye and say, there is no contrition in your heart whatsoever about what you are doing. In fact, you are proud of it. It produces sorrow for sin. We're sorry that we've disobeyed and disappointed the Lord. Thirdly, true repentance produces confession of sin as well. Augustine, in describing his youth, he said, So small a boy, yet so great a sinner. There were findings from a survey of nearly 30,000 high school students by the Josephson Institute, a Los Angeles-based ethics institute. They conducted a character survey of nearly 30,000 students at 100 randomly selected high schools nationwide, and here's what they found out. 64% of students said they had cheated on a test in the past year. 30% had stolen from a store. 42% said they would lie to save money. 83% said they had lied to their parents about something significant. Despite their transgressions, 93% of the students surveyed said they were satisfied with their personal ethics and character, with 77% adding, I am better than most people I know. Now, that is not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. God is not pleased with 50% truth. He wants total truth in our lives. And total repentance produces confession of sin. Fourthly, true repentance produces a breaking off from sin. A breaking off. We don't keep doing that sin. Now, there are some sins that become addictions. Lots of sins become addictions. Alcohol, drug, chemical dependency, media, social media can become an addiction. Relationships can become an addiction. Food, gambling, the list goes on and on and on. And even with social media and gaming addictions, it becomes a chemical addiction because it releases chemicals in the brain. And so we have to recognize, and, and, and what's bad about that is it, it controls us. And it puts us in bondage, and it separates us from other relationships that God would have us involved in. Whenever you're involved in addiction, it separates you from relationships because you are afraid of relationships. 
Most of the people I know that I work with are afraid of relationships when they're involved in addiction. Pornography is an addiction. It releases chemicals in the brain too. And so we have to repent and we have to, how do we get serious about that? We have to seek out accountability and say, I need an accountability person who will hold me accountable, who asks me every day how I'm doing with this. So I don't allow myself to be controlled by this substance or this thing in my life. And I take it seriously. Fifthly, true repentance produces a deep hatred for sin. Here's what J.C. Ryle says. I don't know if you'll be able to read this or not. It's kind of small. True repentance shows itself by producing in the heart a settled habit of deep hatred of all sin. The mind of a repentant person becomes a mind habitually holy. They abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. They delight in the law of God. They are deeply conscious of their own infirmities. They groan under a sense of indwelling corruption. But still, for all that, the general bias of their heart is towards God and away from evil. And just a couple other quick passages. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You that love the Lord hate evil. Why? They don't go together. Loving evil and loving God do not mix. They're separate. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. So we have a hatred for sin. The other way we build righteousness in our lives is we have a heart for God. Hatred for sin, but then we have a heart for God. I have a heart for his word. I want to know God. I want to serve God. I want to please God. I want to honor God. Notice, it's not my parents. It's not the grandparents. It's not the Sunday school teacher or the pastor. It's a heart for God. He says in Romans... He strives to conform his life to God's word. That becomes the measuring stick. I don't know how many times I hear young people say, well, you know, the youth leader does this. Or the kids, other kids in youth group say that. They're not the standard. God is the standard. Not that child, not that youth leader, not even the deacon or the elder is the standard. God is the standard. We strive to conform our lives to his word. Look at Romans 2.13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The doers of the law. But again, it comes out of that imputed righteousness that we have. We have that base of imputed righteousness when we receive Christ as Savior and now from that base, I can do the practical righteousness. Because that imputed righteousness is a righteousness that is apart from the law. And that's important for us to remember. Very important. James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The word of God is revered in our lives. In 2 Chronicles 17, 
It says the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. You see, the scribes would copy the words of God's word, word for word and letter by letter, because they wanted to know what it said and to do it. Secondly, we give God regular opportunity to search our heart. Let him take an inventory of our life. When is the last time you've confessed a sin to God? Any sin. And, and, and truly repented and said, I'm sorry about that sin. It should happen on a regular basis. There should be a regular confession of sin. Seeking the Lord saying, what's wrong with my life? Where, do I, where, do, where am I not giving you control? God has revealed things to me in recent days, things that I was hanging on to for over 20 years. I say, really? Yeah. And the reason he didn't bring it to the surface is just because of the way life happens sometimes. We just kind of put it out of our mind, out of our heart, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings that to mind. So, Roy, you need to straighten that up. It's vital that we give God regular opportunity to search our heart. Not just on Sunday morning. That's why we need to be in his word. I'm reminded of the words of Charlie Hall in his song. He said, oh, my heart longs to be purified. Oh, my heart longs to be refined. A holy heart is what I long for, what I cry for, what I need. A heart that loves you, a heart that hears you, fears you, and sees you as you are. Search my heart, O God, and see in me all offenses, God, that there may be. Refined in your love, refined by your blood, and the pure in heart will see you, will see you. That's what God wants to do in our hearts. A third characteristic of that righteousness that will protect our hearts is a holy walk before others. That it's a consistent walk. Remember I said last week when we were talking about the belt of truth that Satan, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and all that. And I said Satan has organized assaults on God's people. They are not ha random. They're not haphazard. They are organized assaults. We have the target. They are organized assaults on us. And we went back into Ephesians chapter 4 because that's where the practical life of the Christian begins in Ephesians. And we talked about unity in the body of Christ. What does Satan has an organized attack against unity in the body of Christ. He has an organized attack against my thought life. We saw that later in Ephesians 4. He has an organized attack against my character 
Ephesians 5, walk in love. He has an organized attack against marriage. Maybe your marriage is under attack right now. It is an organized assault by Satan to destroy your marriage because he wants to discourage you in your walk with Christ. He has an organized attack against children. He doesn't wait for them to grow up. He attacks children from the beginning. And that's why Paul said, children, obey your parents. Understand you're going to be attacked in the area of obedience. He attacks parents. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Those are organized assaults on us to get us off track. A holy walk before others. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you're living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Do it more and more. Become more holy in your walk. My conduct should be pleasing to the Lord. And secondly, my speech is also pleasing to the Lord. Luke 6, 45, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Why? He's got the breastplate of righteousness on. He's keeping his heart good. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And so therefore, we want to honor the Lord in our speech as well. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads, I want you to take inventory of your life right now. When you think in terms of the breastplate of righteousness, do you have a hatred for sin? Do you take it serious? Any sin, every sin, all sin. And do you have a heart to repent of that sin? To turn away from it. Not just the sins that mom and dad know about, the sins God knows about, the Holy Spirit knows about. One of the things that bugs me with statistics is... They talk about high school students, and then when they go to college, the number of students that walk away from the Lord. It's a high number. But I think the number is skewed. You know why I think it's skewed? Because I think there's a lot of high school students who are playing games. <laughs> They're not serious and genuine about their faith. Do you have a heart for God? a heart for his word when does it find lodging in your heart when do you give yourself to it how about your holy walk before others your peers when mom and dad aren't around when the deacon or elder is not around when the youth pastor is not around Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you have, do you have 
the righteousness of Christ imputed to your life. That's the first step. If you don't have the righteousness of Christ imputed to your life, you will not live a righteous life. You can't. God can help you. Maybe you're here today and when we talk about the assaults, the organized assaults of the enemy, you're like, yeah, I've got an area or two where there's an organized assault right now. Would you surrender that to God? Say, God, I realize there's an organized assault right now in this area of my life. I need to surrender it to you. Would you help me do that? When we live righteously, it not only protects our heart, it promotes God's glory. The Bible says that righteous living exalts a nation. It exalts the people of God. And God can pour out his blessing on that nation and on those people. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you speak to myself after the service if the Holy Spirit is convicting you about your sin? Would you acknowledge it? Would you confess it? And would you put it under the blood and begin the journey of winning the war? If you're a believer and you have experienced the organized assault of the enemy, would you seek to put God back on the throne? Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, as in boy.org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.